How do you guys feel about clowns? I hate them. I like them when they're little dolls. No. Get out. <laughs> what, what do you hate I about clowns? I knew clowns? that was going to be the answer from both of you. I don't like when I can't see their faces. Like their facial features. I don't like it. Is that what it is for most people that are afraid of clowns? I don't know. Is it? That's it for me, though. I don't like it. I don't know. I actually don't mind clowns. I don't know. I had a clown at my birthday that did like like my sixth birthday that didn't like he was a magician too. It was well, awesome. At least he didn't make your little brother disappear. No, he did not. No. He made a rabbit disappear, so should I feel a certain way about that? Uh, I do. Well like it was gone. The clown we're talking about <laughs> today gone. made boys disappear. Oh my god. <laughs> He made his own bucks disappear. <laughs> Jesus. That's what they call male bunnies. Mm. Really? Yeah, they call them bucks. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Huh. Learn something new every day. Fun fact of the day. Welcome to Creeps in the Crypts. <laughs> Creeps in the Crypt, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, <laughs> we have a amazing episode today. Mm-hmm. We're finishing out John Wayne Gacy, as you know from reading the title. Yes. But this one, we're covering the clown years. We're getting into the nitty gritty now. The fun yes. stuff. Don't mind my voice. <laughs> I, sa- I now smoke 12 packs a day. <laughs> well, after doing this research for this, I, I don't blame you. No, I've just been performing mm. all week. Mm. So there's that. <laughs> I think that he's been performing. <laughs> As always. Was it disappearing act? Mm. He had his own magician. My voice is disappearing. <laughs> As always, I am Eric and I'm joined by Sam. You know us know that it's Christian. Christian. And her nonsense. <laughs> you know I'm bringing it in. Guys, thank you all for following us on this. Um, and make sure that your auto downloads on Apple Podcast are on and you're downloading mm-hmm. the episodes. Yeah. That's how we know you like the show. Yep. Uh, so on Apple Podcast, I've noticed that it's deleting people's auto download system. That's fucking rude. Yeah, it's kind of shit. So guys, make sure your your auto downloads are on, and that way we know what episode you like, and we'll continue to do cool little series like this. Yeah, I love Summer Slaughter. Yeah, it we can, is. We can never great. do away with it. I actually serial killers Summer are Hill. actually more active in the summertime. Oh shit. Yep. It's but, warm. They're like lizards. Yep. They lay down on a rock and want to kill somebody. <laughs> I feel very homicidal in the summertime also. <laughs> Same. I think yours is more from tours, though. Yeah. Don't call it a season if I can't shoot them. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Tell us how you really fucking feel, Sam. God almighty. It's... <laughs> It's going to be one of those. I can just All see right. Sam like, picking gonna... off tours that like change lanes. <laughs> without the blinker! All right. Well, without further ado, let's recap where we left off last week. All right. So John just got out of jail, prison, whichever. I don't really know the difference. Um, and he has sworn to never be the old John again. He has yeah. locked the old John in a drawer, which yeah. turns out to be a half-open cabinet. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, his father just died, so the one person that was, like, the bully to him is dead. 
The one person whose opinion yeah. he actually gave a fuck about, who made him like keep the demons somewhat in check because he didn't want to disapprove. Like, let's just say the train's off the rails now. Oh yeah, it's a crazy train now. Mm. <laughs> On a pogo stick. <laughs> oh god, pogo stick. <laughs> uh, thinking about all I saw was young men's dick. And you know, what? you were talking about uh, that's fucking Jesus, Christian. I'm sorry. Get it together. I'm sorry. I was thinking about that. <laughs> and there hot. is magic involved in this episode. So oh, when I you were talking like, about magic tricks earlier, oh, so you're gonna bring up my eighth grade, my eighth birthday about me talking about a clown who was a magician and he was actually wholesome. This well, is not wholesome. If anybody clown. ever asks you to do the handcuff trick, if they want to show you a handcuff trick, don't do it. <gasps> Why? You'll find out. Is there a surprise in my hand? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I don't know. There might be. Is that what you do to me? Uh, we can try that later. <laughs> ah! <laughs> no. All right. So now we're caught up. So John doesn't have anything left for him in Waterloo. He So he decides to head back home. He was able to buy a home with the help of his mother about 30 miles outside of Chicago in Cook County. So him and his mama are roomies now. Roomies! Yay! You know, most of the time that doesn't end well with these serial killers that live <laughs> with their mom. Or At uh, least it's not his member. mom's basement. It's mm. his own basement. Mm-hmm. All I can think of is Will Ferrell in Wedding Crashers. <laughs> Mom, meatloaf. The meatloaf. I want to watch that movie now. I know, right? <laughs> so John gets a part-time construction job, or no, he starts his own construction job now at he's called PDM Contractors, which is paint design and something else. I'm, murder. Yeah, I'm murder. That's exactly what mastication for. <laughs> he also works as a cook so he's doing his construction jobs in the evening and cooking during the day eventually his construction business expands to interior design and remodeling and that allowed john to be able to quit his cooking job and just work his construction business full-time pdm contractors was thriving he was actually very good at the interior design side of his business. You don't say. He took a note from Ed Gein. I, well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have <laughs> gone that far. I wasn't going to go that route. I was going with the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of gay guys are really good at interior design. Oh. Of course, John always said he was just bisexual. So. Well, I relate. Survey says. That's a lie. Mm. Bush part. <laughs> <laughs> Just like back in Waterloo and even in prison, John becomes active in his local community and he helps his neighbors by loaning them tools for their home projects and offers to plow the snow for free. Over the summer, he was known to hold the most awesome barbecue backyard parties Sometimes there were upwards of 400 people in attendance. 
It was around this time that John was introduced to another club that piqued his interest. It was called the Jolly Joker Clown Club. They would volunteer at parades, children's hospitals, and special events to make people happy. This is right up John's alley. He is all about some clowning around. Dude, I wonder if he had like one of those flowers that's like the squirt squirt gun, gun. (laughs) but it's just cum. Wouldn't that be just his dick? Hey! I put a flower on it. (laughs) Stop getting ideas from this. I'm out. And I like lilies. Uh. (laughs) I like lilies. I like lilies. (laughs) I do like lilies. So he made different clown personas for different style events. One of his characters was called Pogo the Clown, and the other was called Patches the Clown. Pogo was more fun, and Patches was a little more serious. What's interesting about this is um, John invented his own style of clown makeup. So most clowns have, like, softer, like, rounded edges. Uh His clown makeup is jagged. It looks like a stingray. Yeah, it, it's very like twisted, looking. It, it's it's. It looks like some ICP stuff. Yeah, he he's like pre Juggalo. But this this actually imagine? like ruined clowns for a long time. <laughs> like nobody wanted to fucking deal with clowns. What my I parents said they had him when it might eat the birthday. Yeah, but that was like thirty years after this. This is ninety eight. This was like seventy eight, right? Mm, I think so. Yeah, yeah, we're in we're in seventy. We're about to be in nineteen seventy two. Okay, so yeah. In a police interview a few years later, he was talking about his time working as a clown, and he told investigators, "quote Clowns can get away with murder." Very infamous. That is false. Mm. If, He's just having a good time. If a clown is a suspect in a murder, it's automatically the clown. One thousand percent. It's not. He, all you guys want to see my balloon animal? <laughs> no. Does it self blow up? Yeah, it does. <laughs> it 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 it's only here. one. Does it self inflate? I can only do a couple different animals with it. Is uh, it a snake? A snake is one. A sword. A worm. A sword. <laughs> yes. I'm out. Sam's disgusted with us right now. <laughs> it's sheathed. Don't worry. <laughs> In January of 1972, 16-year-old Timothy Jack McCoy had plans to sleep at the bus station because his next bus wasn't scheduled till the next day. But John approached him and offered to give him a tour of the city and said that he could sleep at his house. Timothy took him up on it, and what happened the next morning, according to John Wayne Gacy, is this. John woke up the next morning and saw Timothy standing at his bedroom door holding a knife and thought, so John thought that Timothy was planning on killing him. So John charges Timothy and got control of the knife and proceeded to stab him to death. It was then that he realized that he had mistaken Timothy's intentions. He was preparing breakfast and had gone to John's room to wake him up. Hey, John, do you want these eggs over? That's <laughs> exactly what happened. I'm not exactly sure that I believe that, but it's not neither here nor there. 
She wanted some boy bacon. <laughs> it better bring me undercooked. Well, it was undercooked. definitely underaged. Oh. oh! Ouch. John Hatton planned on killing Timothy when he brought him to the house, but he couldn't ignore the fact that he had become so aroused to the point of completion. He busted a big old nut. He did. In his pants. Maybe. I don't know. On him. Maybe. Possibly. Yeah, this is John's first kill. In the omelet. He likes his eggs fertilized. <laughs> it's he a was, creamy omelet. He was, <laughs> a la mode. Ugh, fuck. He made his own hollandaise sauce. <laughs> I call this eggs gacy. <laughs> I don't, I'm not coming here for breakfast. <laughs> Wait till you try my eggs Dahmer. It's a take on bangers and mash. <laughs> kidding. Oh, God. So this is when uh, John discovered that death was the ultimate thrill. Timothy was the first of many bodies to be stored in the crawl space underneath John Wayne Gacy's home. Timothy's body wasn't even identified until 14 years later, and he had to be identified via dental records. He had very unique teeth and fillings that narrowed it down to 2 to 3% of the population. Oh, damn. He very special. Him special. He was, at least. William Kunkel, chief prosecutor for John's trial, said, quote, he, John, stated his first victim was not strangled, as were the others, but rather was stabbed in the chest twice. He also said that the first victim was the first one buried in the crawl space. But later on, when his second wife moved into the house and complained of odors in the basement, he took the opportunity when she was out of town to cover that first body with concrete. End quote. Which is, in fact, where the forensic team found Timothy's body along with the stab wounds. So they, like, broke up the concrete and found Timothy's body underneath that slab. On July 1st of the same year, 1972, John married his high school sweetheart, Carol Hoff. Carol and her two daughters from a previous marriage moved into John's home. At some point after they were married, I, it might have been, like, a year or two later... And John tells Carol that he is a bisexual. <coughs> she was aware of why John had gone to prison, but he downplayed the charges and convinced her he changed his ways. They never change. Within weeks of their nuptials, John was arrested and charged with another sexual assault after a teenage boy accused him of impersonating a police officer to get him in his car and then forcing him to engage in oral copulation. But again, the charges were dropped because the victim tried to blackmail John. Mm. Yeah, you're going to see this a lot in this story. Is blackmail John, or oral copulation. Uh, uh, that... A lot of that, and a lot of John using his power, a, a fake cop car. Basically, <laughs> he had like one of his spotlights on it, and just spotlight cars, and you know, kind of intimidate people into sucking his dick. No means no. 
I don't know if he knew that. But maybe is always open ended. <laughs> well, or we'll see. There's a few people that were open ended. <laughs> On Mother's Day of 1975, John gave Carol possibly the best worst gift ever. They have sex. It's important for the story. And then John told Carol that they wouldn't be having any more sex without any real explanation. He's just like, nah, we're done. It's icky. Girls are icky. Pussies are icky. Not only like boy ass. I'm going to go down to the clown club and crack open a boy. She was upset and confused, but she thought that it was just a phase. It's never just a phase. After that day, she noticed their relationship really going downhill. John was working late nights and he wouldn't come home until early morning hours. So she decides that she's going to snoop around John's things. She goes into his little man cave area and comes across some gay porn and a few different men's wallets in the house, which confuses her even more. That's not a red flag at all. No, it's it's a, it's a little pink. Bisexual. <laughs> Bipedal. Bipedal. Jesus Christ. So when John comes home, he heads straight to the garage with the kids he used to work at KFC with. There would always be a little posse of teenage boys at his house until late at night. Eventually, curiosity gets the best of Carol, and she's just kind of like, what's going on here? Anything? Are you fucking these kids, John? Are you fucking these kids? Thank you, Eric, and for throwing that into Yes. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying what she meant. And uh, so this question really sets John off, and he, he's basically like, you better shut the fuck up. It's none of your business with what I'm doing. Are you, what are you, a fruit picker, John? You a fruit picker? He's mm. picking something. Boys up. John told authorities that the next time he murdered someone was in 1974. He is an unidentified white male who was found in John's backyard. He was between 14 and 18 years old. The coroner confirmed that the boy died sometime between 1972 and 1975. Oh, his shit is fucked up if they can't determine anything closer than that. There are a few. Is this the one that was buried in the the barbecue pit? Uh, It didn't say this one. If this was in the backyard, so there was one in the the barbecue pit, Mm -hmm. which is right underneath where John was entertaining these 400 people. Jesus. I can't imagine. In July of 1975. Puts a whole nother take on soul food. Oh, fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) In July of 1975, 17-year-old John Butkovich worked for John, and he went missing after going over to John's house to pick up a paycheck. His parents begged for Chicago police to investigate John, but they never did. 
This would also not be the last time that parents of missing children asked police to investigate John as a suspect, and their pleas be ignored. His body was later found underneath the concrete floor of John's garage. When John wasn't in his basement of torture, he spent his time painting himself as a good neighbor and a good community leader. He worked on community projects, hosted many neighborhood parties, became good friends with his next-door neighbors, and became Pogo the Clown at kids' birthday parties and volunteered at the hospital. Everyone liked John. He was a successful business owner, he was a community member, but no one knew, what no one knew was by nightfall, he was a sadistic killer. Dun, dun, dun. And he did this, like, in pretty quick succession. Yeah, he was taking, like, two kids a day sometimes. Yeah, he was, like, going out, killing, coming, and then cu- killing and coming again. Buy one, get one. I mean. He's always ready for a second round, third round. <laughs> round two, ding, ding. Yeah. It's the little engine that could. <laughs> October of the same year, Carol divorced John. They end up staying in the home together until the divorce was final. Once she and the girls were gone, John could really focus on what was important, keeping his facade in the community so that he could continue what he was doing behind closed doors. In March of 1976, right after the divorce from Carol was finalized and they'd moved out, 18-year-old Daryl Simpson, Samson, I'm sorry, kicked off the two years of murder. He was later found underneath the dining room of John's house. So, like, un- like in the crawl space, like, underneath the dining room. That's where they found him. Not, like, in the floorboards. What's crazy is, uh, back onto the killing of two boys, because now he's ramped it up. Yeah, this this starts this, like, he's in rampage. He's in blood fury mode. Yeah, he's bloodthirsty. So, he would, like, kill two boys and then dig one hole for the two boys. Yeah. Yeah. And That's how they determined. Same day. Yeah. So, May 14th, 1976, was the last time that anyone saw Randall Reffitt when he was walking home from school, and his body was later found in John's infamous crawl space. The coroner confirmed that Randall died from asphyxiation. That same day, John claimed another victim, 14-year-old Sam Stapleton. John grabbed him while he was walking home from his sister's apartment, and he was buried alongside Randall in the crawl space. Less than a month later, John murdered 17-year-old Michael Bonin, and he was found buried in the crawl space with the rope used to strangle him still around his neck. Which, that is, like, heartbreaking. That is, like... He just, like, tossed him in, didn't even, like, take the ligature off of him. Well, his M.O. <clears throat> was he would get these kids to come over to his house, and they'd be drinking or some shit, and he'd be like, you you know, you ever get tired of just trying to chase a girl? Why don't you, why, why don't you uh, just fuck a dude, you know? They're always ready to go. And uh, if the kid didn't take it the right, you know, take it the way John wanted it to, he'd be <laughs> like, I'm just fucking with you. I'm just kidding. Ha ha. And then he'd go, magic. You want to see a magic trick? And then I'm getting there. Oh, okay. Fucking lovely. <laughs> Ten days later, on June 13th, 1976, 
16-year-old William Carroll, nicknamed Billy by his friends, was also found in the crawl space. That's the, so the date that I give are the days that either they were last seen or the date that they were confirmed died. The next victim that John claimed is still unidentified. He was a white male between 23 and 30 years old, a little older than what John normally went for, who was missing his two front teeth and wore a removable denture. He was killed between June and August of 1976. 16-year-old James, or Jimmy Hawkinson, who was finally identified in August of 2017, thanks to DNA evidence, ran away from home in Minnesota in the summer of 76. On August 5th, 1976, he called home to tell his family that he was in Chicago, but he was never heard from again. The next day, August 6, 1976, 17-year-old Rick Johnston was last seen going into a rock concert at Chicago's Aragon Ballroom. He was supposed to call his mom for a ride home afterwards, but she was never heard from. He never heard from. She never heard from him. Lord. His body was found in a stack with Jimmy Hawkinson and another identified victim. They were three deep. Three boys. John Street. Piling up. Literally. <laughs> to the pile. Literally. To the pile. To the pile. In the summer or fall of 1976, another unknown male victim between 18 and 22 years old and also had dental issues at the time of his death. Another during the same time frame, but this boy's age range was between 15 and 24 at the time of his death. So this is two unknowns. So two more. Like, we're up to like five unknowns now. Mm-hmm. October 20th. This is the 70s. A lot of kids were running away from home. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just running rampant. And it was, you know, right after the season of love. So it was in mm-hmm. the 70s. So a lot of kids and dental Science was really not that prominent then. Mm-mm. So, like, dental records are really hard to even, unless Back your then. parents were, like, prominent and took you to the dentist like you right. were supposed to. <clears throat> October 25th, 1976, 16-year-old Kenneth Parker and 14-year-old Michael Marino, they were friends, were last seen together on the north side of Chicago and were reported missing by their parents the following day. They were able to be identified by their dental records Back in 2014, Sherry Marino, Michael's mother, had both of the boys' bodies exhumed and says that DNA evidence, the DNA test shows that the remains given to her are not her sons, who she still believes is alive. But Cook County Sheriff's Office and the ME stand by their findings. Literally the day after Kenneth and Michael, on October 26th, John murdered 19-year-old William Bundy, no relation to Ted, sorry. He sometimes worked for PDM, and he went missing after telling his family that he was going to a party, in hint, wink, wink, one of John's infamous parties. His family always suspected that he was in John's crawl space, but his remains weren't identified until 2011 when his siblings provided DNA samples to the police. You want to come to my party? It's a pants-off dance-off. We're going to watch the bears. The bears. The bears. The bears. (laughs) They suck. Would you like to? Oh. 
Jesus Christ. Oh, Oof. God. I'm sorry. I'm just full of all the awful jokes. We are just all three on one. 17-year-old Gregory Godzik had only worked for PDM for a little bit before he went missing after dropping a girl off from their date. His wallet was later found in a search of John's home, and it was confirmed that his remains were among the ones found in the crawl space. This was on December 12th, 1976. Just a <clears throat> fucking murder spree. So this was the, from the beginning to end of 1976. I mean, it, he killed for five years, essentially. He's yeah. a heavy hitter, off and on. But like these last two, he was just like rapid fire. Yeah. I mean, he was racking up a body count. Not in a good way. Mm -mm. Is there a good way to rack up a body count? Uh, yeah. There's a fun way. There's a fun way, and there's the not fun way. Which is, <laughs> this is the not fun way. Only fun for the, the killer. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Well, His body count is going up, and he's like, yay. His body count is going up in both ways. Yes. John told his friends that one way he planned to keep costs down at PDM was to hire teenage boys. But John saw it as another way to get teenage boys into his basement hangout. He would offer boys to borrow his car in exchange for sexual favors and even told some that he would give them a promotion if they slept with John. Real Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. He's like, hey, you want to borrow my fake cop car? You just got to suck my dick. All just for a little siren. You can pull people over. You ever have fun pulling people over here? Watch this. <laughs> there were some employees that gave John a hard time about, quote, having a good time. But the biggest one was in 1976 with 18-year-old named David. John met David when David was hitchhiking. John picks him up, and they're driving and talking. And John finds out that David doesn't have anywhere to go, and he doesn't have a job. So, John tells David that he has plenty of room in his house and that he owns a construction company. So, John offers David a job at PDM and tells him he can move in with him since he's divorced and the house is lonely without people there. He's got plenty in the crawl space. If you hear any screaming and blood coming from the walls, eh, the house was built on an Indian reservation. <laughs> it's Indian just Indian barrel grounds. My septic tank's fucked up. It said something's fucked up, all right. That same night, he learns that it's David's 19th birthday, and John wants to celebrate David's birthday. So they're drinking and celebrating, and John tells David, everyone loves a birthday clown. Oh, God. I was, no, they don't. I was literally getting ready to make a fucking joke about, let, let me guess, he put on the fucking clown outfit and asked <laughs> if he wanted to blow out a candle. And, uh... It, John did not disappoint. John did not disappoint. But I do not like a birthday clown. Mm. No. I'm a fucking heart attack. You like balloon animals, Sam? No. You don't You don't want to see a puppy? No. How about... You like handcuffs? You like Listen, magic? I, I haven't you know, ever I once on put your one. dick into a fucking puppy design. And I feel really... <laughs> a little I'd be bit, very uncomfortable. I feel very cheated right now. I'm it's like comfy. a fire hose. Ugh. Uncomfy. 
John decides to dress up as Pogo. Remember, he's the more fun of the two clown personas. He tricks David into putting on a pair of handcuffs and instantly the whole vibe changes. John grabs the chain of the handcuffs and swings David around and openly tells him, I am going to rape you. So David's like, the fuck if you are, and fights back and ends up kicking John in the face and somehow getting free of the handcuffs. John, being the smooth talker that he is, somehow convinces David that that was just a joke gone wrong. It was a prank. And he was just joking and that everything's okay and that that won't happen again. And David's like, yeah, okay, as long as you say it won't happen again. Boys are fucking stupid. It wasn't long before John tried to assault David again, though. But this time without the clown costume, which is somehow even more scary. I don't know. Somehow. A rapey clown. Ugh. Versus just regular old John Wayne Gacy. I don't, I don't know which one's worse. <laughs> Dude just permanently smells like fried chicken from all those years at KFC. <laughs> no. Hey, uh, I think my cum it, it tastes like 11 herbs and spices. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Shut This is the no. 12th herb. That just... <laughs> Disgusted me. I, I named my dick Herb, you see. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> what? So John says, quote, Dave, you really don't know who I am. Maybe it would be good if you give me what I want. End quote. And David somehow holds John off once again. And John is extremely frustrated and eventually gives up and says, quote, you are not any fun. David moves out pretty soon after that, but does continue to work for John for another two years. Could you imagine, like, fig finally hearing who you lived with and who handcuffed you as a clown? Like, fucking no. I would, no. Mm. He began posting job openings, and then John would invite the boys to his house under the pretense of an interview. Once they were inside, he would overpower them, knock them unconscious, and begin the gruesome, sadistic torture that usually ended in death. So in 1977, John picks up on January 20th in his killing spree and grabs 19-year-old... John, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. <clears throat> S-Z-Y-C. I don't really know how to say Sure. Does yep, say that one. Known as Johnny to his friends and family. He was yet another PDM employee who'd gone missing. Why, at this point, no one has picked up on the fact that these boys are going missing? Working for John? Because most of them are runaways. He's like a lot smart. of it, a lot of it was runaways. Uh, None of them are local. The less dead, basically. Mm. So, prostitutes, uh, runaways, transients, transients. Yeah. Still. So John, little John, his remains were later found in the crawl space as well. Yet another unidentified victim from winter of 1977. He was a white male between the ages of 22 and 33. 
Police found a key fob on his body with the name Greg on it. He makes it through the rest of the winter without any casualties that we know about. And jumps right into the spring of 1977. On March 15th, 20-year-old Michigan native John Prestige, Prestige? I don't know, was visiting friends in Chicago when he unfortunately crossed paths with John and it landed him a spot in the crawl space. There was another unidentified victim in the spring or summer of 1977 who'd sustained a left clavicle break and it was in between... He was in between 17 and 22 years old. It also didn't say if the bone was broken perimortem or if it was an older break. July 5th, 1977. I guess he took the fourth off. 19-year-old Matthew Bowman was killed and tossed in John's crawl space with the rope he strangled him with still around Matthew's neck. Well, the fourth, I'm sure he had a big barbecue. You know, you got to entertain the mm. neighborhood. Oh, all this barbecue, it makes me uh, hungry for killing. It makes me murderous. <laughs> I got an appetite that can kill a horse. It's going to kill something. So this one might be John's bravest kill ever in the whole roster, I guess you could call it. I don't know. September 15th, 1977, John grabs 18-year-old Robert Gilroy. He was the son of a Chicago Police Department sergeant. He lived just four blocks from John at the time of his disappearance. Mm. You're driving a sergeant's son. I think that was pretty brazen. Zero fucks given. Less than. Yeah, he he did, it's not like he did research on his victims. Well, I know, but still, like... He just saw some boy ass and was like, but, oh. I mean, he, if he was so prominent in his community, you would think he would know who who was who. At that point, I would think the bloodlust had taken over. I, I agree with that. I don't think he gave two fucks who it was because these weren't people to him. They were just a, a means to an end. Yeah. Just 10 days later, on September 25th, 1977, John grabbed 19-year-old John Maury, who was a U.S. Marine studying to become an accountant, not a spicy one. He'd gone to John's house to inquire about work and never came back. He goes about a month in between John Maury and his next victim, 22-year-old Russell Nelson, who was a student at University of Minnesota. He traveled to Chicago and was last seen at a nightclub. His remains were also found in the crawl space. 16-year-old Robert Winch from Kalamazoo, Michigan, was last seen on November 10th, 1977, and was later found in the crawl space. November 18th, 1977, Tommy Bowling, father of one, he was found in the crawl space dead from strangulation also. And just like John Maury, 19-year-old David Talsma was last seen um, in December of 1977. He was later identified on what would have been his 21st birthday. Uh, that's, a that's a real kick in the ass. I know. Also, sometime in 1977, a young man walked into a police station in Chicago 
and told them that he'd been kidnapped and molested by John. A report was filed, but no one ever followed up on it. Oh, look, the police fucking <coughs> up. Look at that. Yeah, they don't have a great track record. No. So, now we're on to the year 1978, the last and final year of John Wayne Gacy's reign of terror. And we're just going to go through the names because there are so many. We have William Kindred, who is 19, Timothy O'Rourke, who is 20, Frank Landingen, who is 19, and then... James Mazzara, who is 20. Now, I know five were found in the river. Yeah. So I'm assuming that's these four and then our final victim? Our final victim. Robert P. Peist. 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 15-year-old Robert Peist was reported missing, and John was the last person known to have seen him. He was working when John had been in the pharmacy that Robert worked at discussing remodel plans with the owner that day. Robert followed him out to the parking lot to talk to John about a job. But he denied, John denied ever speaking to Robert. Police obtained a search warrant on December 13, 1978. Displays police searched John's home and found a class ring with the initials J.A.S., Handcuffs, drugs, and drug paraphernalia, two driver's licenses that weren't John's, child porn, police badges, guns and ammo, store receipts, clothing that clearly didn't fit John, and other items. They found that the ring belonged to a teenage boy who had gone missing. They went down to the crawl space, but quickly turned around and left due to the smell that they assumed was a sewage problem. Yeah, I've been having my <clears throat> septic tank backed up. It was not a sewage problem. It's never a sewage problem. A dead raccoon crawled in the, the toilet, and I flushed it. There's something dead down there, but it ain't raccoons. The search definitely confirmed that John Wayne Gacy was an active pedophile, but there was no evidence leaking him to Robert. But he was still their prime suspect. Two surveillance teams were assigned to watch John 24 hours a day. Police continued to search for Robert, but also started talking to people who have connections to John. They learned that Robert was a family-oriented, good kid, and that John Wayne Gacy was a monster. So, so with Robert, um, he went missing the night of his mom's birthday. Yeah. Oh, terrible. Yeah, and the family like stayed out all night looking for him. Robert was the fourth person to have gone missing after direct contact with John. Like, there, John was the last known person. Like, oh, yeah, he was ever talking to John. Like, the fourth person. Out of all those, four people. John knew he was being watched. He thought of it as a game. He was able to sneak out of the house multiple times without being seen. He also invited the police into his home to have breakfast. And then would joke about spending the rest of the day getting rid of dead bodies. If only they knew he was fucking serious. Yeah. 
I mean, I he would they, he would do I some. I think they kind of knew. He would do wild shit. Like they'd come, they he'd go to a restaurant and the cops would come in and sit at a different table and he'd like order drinks for the the cops and shit. Yeah, and, and just say like wild <clears throat> wild shit. Like the that point he already knew. Yeah. Well, yeah, the best known. The best place to hide is in plain sight. Yeah. On day eight of the investigation, police went over to Robert's parents' house to bring any updates to them. During their conversation, Mrs. Peast mentioned a conversation that she had with one of Robert's co-workers the night that Robert went missing. The girl had borrowed Robert's jacket when she took her break, and she left a receipt in the jacket pocket. The same jacket that Robert was wearing when he left to go over to John Wayne Gacy's home. Police later found the same receipt and ran forensic tests to prove that John had been lying. There's a shocker. Or, oh, no. No, not Nobody John. Nobody likes liars. John Wayne Gacy was taken into police custody and was informed that a second search warrant had been issued for his house. Well, so how they got him into police custody was um, <clears throat> John had started getting like fucking crazy sporadic like they thought he was going to kill himself because he went and would tell people goodbye and all this shit and the night before he got arrested i think he went and told his lawyer everything and he went to a shop that he frequented Mm -hmm. for his business and gave the clerks weed didn't charge it didn't charge him for it or anything and the, the kids instantly told him, Gacy gave this to us. <laughs> so they, they Yeah, they got him on pot charges. Okay. Because that's, that's what got John Wacy arrested right then and there was drug charges. All right. Because they were just trying to get him on anything. So, upon the information of... The police having a ser- another search warrant for John's home. This brought on chest pains, and he was sent to the hospital. He faked a heart attack. Yeah. But that didn't stop in the investigators from searching his home. And that crawl space. Fucking finally. He disposed of 29 of the bodies underneath his home, and the last four or five in the Des Plaines River because his crawl space was too full. Yeah, so it's 28 in the crawl space, or 27 in the crawl space, one in the garage, and then one under the barbecue pit. Yeah. And then five in the river. Mm-hmm. Bringing the total body count up to 33. All of which he confessed to once he knew the gig was up. He even hinted that his body count could be as high as 45. So, you know, I know what you're thinking. Could be as high. Could be. I mean, you know you're doing a lot of killing when you lose count. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not like he he embellished the murders at no. all. It's... He told them every. He sung like a fucking bird, but uh, at one point, one of the, one of my favorite Gacy lines is, "They're not. They don't have anything on me. The only thing they're going to get me for is illegally running a morgue." <laughs> oh my god, I love him. 
So what I was thinking most of the time that I've researched John Wayne Gacy is how did no one else fucking smell the smell of 20, what, seven decomposing bodies in a crawl space? Lime. But people did smell it. People would come into Gacy's house and note the smell. Yeah. And he just like, oh, it's moisture buildup. Nah, mm. homie. Decomp is a whole different other ball game, my guy. Dead raccoon. It's a smell that it smells like It's death. a fucking dead cat in the crawl space. It's literally, it literally smells like death. Well, he covered it up a lot with lime. Yeah, but there's only so much that lime can do for 27 bodies. I mean, it was boy soup in his basement. Blech. Oh, God. Uh. Oh, look, you're the one to make Sam disgusted this episode. Sam's like retching over here. John Wayne Gacy was arrested and tried, and he tried to use the insanity plea, which he was diagnosed as a schizophrenic. But thankfully, it didn't work. On May 10th, 1994, he was executed by lethal injection. His last words were, kiss my ass. Do you guys know what Gacy's... Final meal was? Yes, I do. I know what his last final meal was. Christian, do you do you want to take a guess on this? Was it a steak? Nope. nope. No, it was KFC. It was a bucket of KFC chicken, a pound of fried shrimp, and a basket of fries. Oh, no, and a pound of strawberries. Yeah. I knew. I only really know that because I, like, I have him. Wait, How'd you I like did... to clean that shit up out of his britches? Oh, wait, was God. He, was he executed by electrocution or... Lethal injection. Lethal injection. Oh, I just said that, Christian. Well, you didn't... I'm sorry. All I heard was death, death, death. <laughs> I only know that because... Uh, sodomy, sodomy. Murder crates did him. So, and I made a uh, recipe card for his last meal. Mm. Oh, shit. Well, there you go. You can make John Wayne Gacy's fried chicken... It's just KFC. But I have the recipe for it. Uh, the secret 11 herbs and spices? I don't fucking know if it's 11 herbs and spices. I didn't count them. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's John Wayne Gacy done and dusted. Always a heavy hitter. He's a big he's boy. He's first he heavy a hitter. And, and you know what? I don't think he's going to be the first of our heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. I think it's is the... A little bit of our own herbs I mean, and spices of the, starting this season off. Our first off. serial killer that we did, Joe Metheny. Yes. Was was great. But he's like B-team at best. No, this is a big boy. And then Rodney Acala was our second serial killer we fun. ever did. Yeah. But he's like one of those ones that flew under the radar. He never really got a whole bunch of notoriety. He really didn't. He's one of the most underrated serial killers. And he might be one of the most prolific. Yeah. I would agree with that. Wasn't he up to like triple digits? uh, They suspect he's, yeah, up to triple digits. But it's not the, it's the finesse that makes them so prolific. Is like John Wayne Gacy is like his attitude yeah, I mean, like well, he was the he and got his sloppy perso- and his was, persona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his persona made a big thing with it. Everybody hates Sam over here is talking about how much he hates fucking clowns and just the fact that he happened to be in a clown club. That well, was he, not his main thing. Well, he definitely ruined clowning around. 
Mm. Fuck I'm not like my <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to think about that for a second. All right. Well, Christian. Yes. Would you drop a social? Am space? I just like the resonant social dropper? You are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I do all the other talking. I know. First and foremost, and <clears throat> as always, thank you guys so much for listening. We really, really appreciate you. And we thank you for coming on this journey with us for this summer. We have some awesome big boys I'm fucking excited sam over here is salivating we're gonna put puppy pads down for me and her because it's, it's, <laughs> it's gonna get wild over here so make sure you guys are listening make sure you guys are downloading make sure you guys are subscribing as eric was talking about earlier apple spotify and i think um another service i can't think of it right now also after you don't like listen for a while like everybody takes breaks if you don't listen for a while, it actually unsubscribes you. And sometimes it does it after a couple of months. So make sure you guys have your auto downloads on so you don't miss any of our episodes. We understand that everybody binge watches, but sometimes you'll miss this episodes. And we want to make sure that you're caught up on what we're doing. Yes. Um, as always, make sure you guys follow us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Sam's over here doing the TikTok, which is awesome. Uh, and... Leave us a comment and make sure you guys review the show. We enjoy hearing your feedback and it makes us happy. Very. All right, guys. Well, we will see you next Friday with uh, a brand our, new one. Our next heavy hitter on the list for this summer. This one I'm so excited about. I can't even stand it. Oh, this is Christian's favorite. <laughs> I can't wait. All right, guys. We will see you next Friday. Bye. Bye.